Welcome to the Achieve Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Feldman, and each month we explore the research, strategies, successes, and even the failures behind some of today's best fundraising and marketing for causes. As we explore each one of these, we'd like to invite different types of guests that will explore their own unique takes on what really works today and will leave us a little intrigued on what they're working on for the future. This podcast is supported in partnership with the Festival of Children Foundation. Today I'll be joined with Dr. Amy Thayer, the head of research at Achieve here. Every year we like to bring her back to give us some insight as to the latest research that she's working on, as well as some things she's hearing from donors as she's out in the field. Thank you again for joining us on this edition of the Achieve podcast. Well, hi, Amy. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me, Derek. Absolutely. Well, it's been a year since we last brought you here to the Achieve podcast. And of course, leading all of the research, it's always great to get a check-in as to see and hear what you've been hearing out in the field, doing some qualitative and quantitative work, of course, with not only our clients, but some interesting projects, including the Millennial Impact Project. Mm -hmm. And so I think what we want to do first is talk about the latest Millennial Impact research that was released, that we released. And um, let's, let's chat a little bit about some of the key takeaways. Ways. Uh, before we get into that, though, remind us again what we were looking at this year for those that may not have had a chance to read the report. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. This year's report is actually a continuation of the 2016 report that we released uh, post-election. And what we found were we had a, probably as many questions after that report right. as we did going into it. And so 2017 is really following up on millennials' uh, cause engagement, their interest in social issues post-election in sort of the new climate that we found ourselves. Yeah, and so last year's research, I remember there were some qualitative and quantitative measures that we talked about. So we were looking at things during the election, how things changed and then a, a bigger report in the end as to what it looked like. Uh, this year, talk a little bit about the methodology. How is the methodology structured? Yeah, this year we did things a little bit differently than we've done in the past because we really didn't know what to expect post-election. As I said, we sort of found ourselves in this new landscape, a um, little bit of uh, tumultuous climate <laughs> than we had had previously. Right. So this year we began with the qualitative methodology, interviewing a uh, purpose of sample of millennials across the U.S. from different regions, from different types of residential areas, that being urban, suburban, rural areas, to try to get a pulse on what is going on out in the different communities with a diverse group of millennials. So from those interview data, we then compiled a list of causes that they were interested in, sort of the actions that they were taking, and then we moved into the quantitative phase two section of this investigation where we tested some of those things. And, and that, we, was, that was what was just released, that's right? That's correct. Right. That's correct. You're right. The survey results. Um, so we ended up surveying 3,000 millennials, representative sample um, of the millennial population across the U.S. to test both the issues that we found in phase one and post-2016, as well as to understand what kind of actions they were taking on behalf of those issues and causes of interest. So what we found was actually quite fascinating. Well, yeah, let's, so let's dive in. Uh, in, the, in the back of the report, there's four key takeaways. Maybe let's walk through all of them uh, from your perspective, and we'll see what we heard and listened and, and learned. So go ahead. Tell yeah. us about key takeaway one. Well, key takeaway one really looks at um, the direction that the millennials thought that the U.S. was taking. And so because post-election, we did see a rise in marches and rallies and petition writing and things like that. We really wanted to understand, you know, are millennials happy? And what we found was, by and large, the greatest percentage are not happy with the direction the country is taking. But we also had a third that were still unsure. They wanted to see what was going to happen. And then close to a third um, that were happy with the direction that it was taking. 
but even even with such a high percentage not really happy with the direction, what we found was is that they had not really lost their um, trust in quote unquote the system or the institution, particularly government. And so what we found was uh, voting um, actions like voting and, and petition signing and contacting local representatives was still very much uh, the key actions that millennials were taking now. So even though they didn't like the direction that it was taking and their dissatisfaction with the current president, by and large, um, they still were taking action within, um, I guess, like established institutions, if you will. Well, now that's, it's interesting too, because I remember as we were tracking in the report, when we think about philanthropic traditions, which include donating and volunteering, where did that kind of fare out with all the other actions that the population has taken? Yeah, that's a great question because, of course, we've looked at cause engagement for many years in the past as a part of the Millennial Impact Project. I mean, we started this study as a millennial donors study. I mean, that was the title of the first report, yeah, right? Yeah, so that's even more interesting then to see where it's evolved to today. And so I think really that changed because of the political aspect um, that, just, that just occurred in our last election. We found that donating and volunteerism really got pushed down the list quite a bit more than we had seen in past years. And so, um, I mean, maybe we can talk about the recommendations, what that means for nonprofit institutions later. But, yeah, to your point, a lot more um, active, very... um, activist style um, sort of using the voice place. in right. some way shape or form and right. and even noticing too that even corporate purchasing situations were higher than that as a number four right right so I think the point there is again I think something that you've probably iterated throughout past years is that there's not just one way that Millennials are really making their mark it really is through a variety of different both active and passive actions but this year we found it was not the traditional action such as volunteering and donating as it had been in the past yeah all right so let's talk about Takeaway two. Yeah, it was really interesting. Takeaway two really focuses on the issues that they were interested in. And so um, I think the biggest takeaway that we have is that those issues do not really remain constant. It really does seem dependent on what's going on in the current landscape. Media, news cycles, all those other fun things, right? Right. Exactly. And so in our report and also in our reporting of the information, I think we took great care to sort of educate the audience that these things were occurring during the time in which we surveyed people. So not surprisingly, civil rights, racial discrimination, um, healthcare, uh, immigration were among the top issues of real importance to the, to the folks this year. Yeah, and including there's some uh, education and employment scenarios that were up there as well. And how would that maybe changed or differed just a little bit from 2016? Because you said it's constantly changing. So what does that look like? Right. And so I think that the key or the core issues uh, of interest generally remain the same, but we do see different uh, rankings of those issues. For example, um, civil rights, LGBT rights. Uh, we're a part of the 2016. We're of importance, but we're not of number one importance as civil rights was this year. Uh, education usually tends to be at the top of the list. It was not so this year, which is not surprising given the fact that, you know, during this time they were looking at immigration, new immigration laws, and they were looking at um, new health care reform and right. that type of thing. So I think it really is, it, what we see is the core issues remain the same, but it is very dependent, as you said, on what's going on sort of in the news, what's key and uh, yeah. top of mind. Well, I think it was interesting because in the report we talk about these are the things that actually happen during the weeks, because I think everybody's astonished at what actually happens in the week right. in the country. <laughs> But, uh, you know, even during those weeks, there were some tweets by our president around things, right. um, including around immigration. The health care bill was, had, you know, I know that this is up for another one as we're recording this. But <laughs> during that time frame, uh, the vote it failed uh, as well to pass. And then there were even wildfire situations. There were a lot of stuff going on. Right. Right. And I think that that was definitely reflected in some of the responses that we got. 
And that's not surprising and, and not really earth shattering, but I think there's a good point to be made with that information is, you know, to really be mindful. If you are one of those organizations that is Great, supporting yeah. a cause, right, during that time period, you know that you can activate folks and really capture their attention during that time. You should take advantage of that. I think. Yeah. And I, well, I think the other thing, too, is knowing that these are hot button topics right now. It may not be right. that your organization is not top of mind, but there is other probably issues going on, per se, as well. All right. Well, let's tackle takeaway three. Yeah, the third one, we really focused on the label, and that was something that came out of 2016. We left 2016 saying, you know, only about half of millennials really like the activist label applied to them because they thought of um, uh, that label being much more militant and you need to go out and do these things. So we really wanted to test that in 2017, as I said before, right. how the actions had changed, right? We were seeing people march and protest and attend uh, demonstrations. So what we found, though, is actually in 2017, still, they were not too hot on the, the activist label. The term is not yeah. great. All right. Yeah, the term is not great. Most of our folks uh, identified as quote-unquote supporters, so a much more passive sort of label, I think, but was fascinating, as was in 2016, same kind of thing. The actions that they are taking are what most people, I think, would term as activist type of behaviors. You know, they are signing petitions, they are out there yeah. at the demonstrations, they are marching. So doing the things that relate to the traditional definition of activism, but don't like to be called activism, probably goes into the label scenario of most millennials as well. Yeah, I think the label is a part of it, but I also think it's a part of sort of what's ingrained in your nature, right? I, right. I think this is a group that has been out working on behalf of causes and doing good, and so it's not something that's sort of exceptional. It's something that's just a part of who they are and what they do. Now, interestingly, uh, we also asked them what groups do they work on behalf of when they're participating in these behaviors. Uh, by and large, they said groups that were similar to them, but the interesting thing is, is that the folks who identified as activists actually were more interested in working on working on behalf of causes that were not related to a group they were a part of. They were really working on behalf of a, a separate group, in most cases a marginalized sort of disenfranchised group where they had you know, sort of a majority status and could use that status to help yeah. the folks in different groups. So it's even those instances where you know how this relates to causes would be that um, you don't necessarily have to be personally affected by right. the issue as much as you could stand up for the issue and be personally affected by the people who are affected. Yeah, I think the humanity piece of these causes and issues really came through loud and clear this year. Um, so I think in the past maybe it has been sort of inferred that that was the motivation, but this year looking at both the causes that they were interested in as well as not being necessarily a part of those causes, I think it really came through that they were really standing up for their yeah. fellow man, if you will. All right, so last takeaway. Let's bring it home here with takeaway four. <laughs> yeah, so it's really interesting that um, takeaway four, we talked about they really want their voices to be heard, right? They're participating in all these different kinds of expressions of quote-unquote activism, and they're really involved. So again, you can't really limit them to um, one type or one form of action. They really are combining the traditional forms of activism with sort of, as you said, like the consumerism and sort of um, unsanctioned, if you will, types yeah. of Yeah, almost getting into the digital, even non-digital tactics that we thought might have been lost to everything, right? Because marches and rallies were pretty strong. They were very strong, yeah, um, across the board, too. And that was one thing that was really interesting. You know, we like to sub-segment our data and sort of look for patterns within different groups. And that was one thing that really did not seem to uh, be contingent upon what group a particular Yeah, and even voting as well was right. up there. So you've got these traditional forms, or what maybe millennials would consider traditional, that relate to change, voting, and marches and rallies and protests, petition signing, that kind of stuff, right. combined with social media and so forth. But it's a good mix. It's a great mix because I think you're both participating 
participating in person, right, sort of live and in action, and then you're also going back and forwarding a tweet. And I think the interesting part about that is, you know, long ago, I think, and maybe still today, folks are labeling that such as slacktivism and that type of thing. Yeah. But it's done very deliberately with intention. And so I think that combined with the actual in-person sort of acting and behaving is a great combination. And a lot of different ways that you can sort of penetrate this particular population and get them to work on behalf of a cause you might support as a, as a nonprofit organization. Great, all right. So what's your, like if you had to top one thing that you would tell a nonprofit exec who's listening to this, what would you say? Give us sort of Amy's key thing to do next. Um, I would say you cannot sort of pigeonhole them. You have to be very aware that the traditional forms that you're counting on, you know, I think as we've Money talked before, right, right. Usually that's that's sort of what we work for, right? Grooming these people who are interested in in your cause or in your organization to move down the line and actually become donors. But I think that would be very short-sighted at this point in time. I don't think you should wait till the future to engage the millennials. Use what they are interested in now. Use the behaviors that they're interested in now to really have them work on behalf. And the donation probably will come. The volunteerism will probably come. But there's no reason why you shouldn't segregate those actions. Use them all in cul culmination and create a long, you know, sort of lifelong relationship with them. Yeah, and it seems a lot out of this report uh, this year is focused on the activism and advocacy side only because it's the top tier actions. And we noticed that obviously most of the nonprofits are stacked more in the fundraising right. and volunteerism side. So are we talking that there's a mismatch between how we work or what we have versus what's reality? Uh, that's a great question. I think, yes, there is some of that. And I think the way even the infrastructure of nonprofit organizations are set up right now, you know, we've talked about maybe you want to bring in a position of advocacy or right. activism sort of demonstration, m much more active forms than we've seen rather than just having perhaps a fundraiser on staff or a volunteer coordinator on staff. You really need to look across the different actions and perhaps bring in people that can you know, cultivate relationships right. with this population to get them engaged the way that that would really work for you. Great. All right. What's next with the Millennial Impact Research? Yeah, this one's really going to be interesting. Phase three. Um, so we're doing what we call an ethnographic inquiry. It's probably more of a quasi. Sounds fancy. Ethnographic. I know, right? <laughs> um, but really what we hope to do with this is really get in a purposive sample of, of these millennial respondent spaces and so to really be able to understand okay so we asked the questions in phase one try to figure out what we wanted to uh -huh. test we tested it in phase two via survey in a large sample size and then phase three we're going back to a smaller very purposive <clears throat> sample size to see okay you indicated that these are causes of interest this is the way you behave so we're actually going to try and track a small sample of millennials, oh, that's great. right, to see what they're doing on social media, to see what's happening in their area of the country, to see if they are reaching out. So it's really going to be a culmination of really, uh, one, collecting like artifact data to see, you know, what are they posting? Are they posting images? Are they posting posters, signing petitions? Um, two, to really sit down and conduct brief interviews with them, provide surveys to them to understand what are they doing, how are they doing it, and then Thirdly, I think just to have the overall picture of what's sort of happening in their space and be able to ask questions about that. Great. So that will help both to validate what we found previously, hopefully, or not. That's right. <laughs> um, but then to also let us see what does this world look like, right, if you're actually working on behalf of causes in a different way than you have in the past. Good. All right. Well, that's good. So that comes out at the beginning of next year. So we'll make sure and follow along and let everybody know who's listening when that's available. Uh, so in terms of other research and things, we were briefly talking before this that there's some new stuff or at least some things that you've been working on related to some donor engagement pieces, uh, especially when it comes to branding and marketing. What are you hearing from donors? I mean, when it comes to these kind of branding and marketing initiatives or even trying to understand who the organization is, what, what have donors been telling you? Yeah. That's 
that's a really interesting question. Um, so what we found in some of the projects that we've begun to conduct is that I, you've talked about it quite a bit, Derek, about the emotional piece of why people give, right? And I would say that is very much alive and well. So we've tested images. We've tested sort of wording. That uh, empathy, right? Right. And and how people want to give their money and why they want to give their money. And so with um, one un university client in particular, we looked at um, sort of branding a, a new message to both include right. people who had, were students of the school, who were alumni, um, big major gift donors, and to understand, you know, what images really worked for them. And what we found was, to your point, the empathetic, the empathy, the empathetic, empathetic nature of folks <laughs> uh, really came through. They want to help students, right? In this particular instance, they want to help students succeed. And so that was really interesting to try to figure out what what branding and what right. image, imagery and what wording we could use to really strike a chord with them so that, that they felt like their donation was really reaching yeah. students. That they so even in some of the most technical environments, whether it be universities or academics or anywhere else, we still see empathy and human connection still remaining strong. I mean, absolutely. I, yeah. I think both on in terms of why you want to give, but also, again, going back to the Millennial Impact Report, really wanting to work on behalf of groups that you're not a part. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's probably the hardest thing because we steer to, we want everybody to be the most um, most conscious at all times, right? We talk about this in conscious, conscious consumerism, right? Some of these people that were part of this study that you talked about earlier were making purchasing decisions. That's a conscious consumer. And here we're talking about the conscious donor all of the time, and, and it, but yet we still see that they need this human relationship, this human connection. Yeah, that's a fascinating part, too, because you think of how many options you have to give your money or to give your right. time, right? And so what we found was it's not just creating the correct message or the, create, the correct imagery. It really is getting that message via the appropriate channels that people remember that they receive the message. And so I know we were talking before. It's like that hook, right? Right. And, and we know in, in this case in particular, we know that they've received the messaging. <laughs> yeah. They don't remember that they've seen the messaging. So that in and of itself, I think, tells us something about what we have to do to sort of revamp and, and really get to that yep. empathetic nature, if you will. Absolutely. Well, hey, Amy, thanks so much. This has been fun. Yeah, it's been it's great. It's always yeah. great to have you. Every year we like to bring Amy in, of course, to give us some information related to the latest research here, as well as some of the things she's finding and working on some of her client work as well. So thanks again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's fun. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Achieve Podcast. I want to thank Dr. Amy Thayer for joining us, as well as Festival of Children for their ongoing support of this podcast. We look forward to next month as we highlight a thought leader in our space, helping organizations raise dollars, raise support, and raise voices for the issues they work on. Thank you so much. We'll see you again soon.